0: You are listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. This podcast has been created to help you connect and achieve your destiny as a leader. For more information, visit our website at fcf.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Faith Christian Fellowship Podcast. I am here with Jason Law, and he has started this awesome movement in Tulsa called Unite My City. He has also written a book called Unite My City. So thank you for joining us.
1: Hey, Whitney. Thank you so much (laughs) for having us and being here. And I did not solely start the movement Unite My City. Okay. Can't have unity if you don't have more people.
0: Hey, that's awesome. Okay. So let's talk about how Unite My City started. How many people were with you when you started it? And what was the inspiration behind it?
1: Um, Well, for me personally, just growing up, traveling the world with my dad, Terry Law, uh, the Ministry of World Compassion, going to countries like Russia when I was a kid, China when I was a kid, That's cool. on into the Middle East. Um, I grew up with the blessing to see a lot of different expressions of the church, mega church. I mean churches he would preach in over here, growing up in the city of Tulsa, going to church, that church on the move, and for victory for a while, I'm at Guts Church now. Um, so just having a, a global worldview or a body of Christ worldview, I think was something that God used later in my young adult life uh, and then coming out of university, uh, there was a time I was reading through John 17 and, you know, most people who are involved in a unity movement or have a heart for unity, we, we talk about the scripture or the prayer of Jesus in John 17 and it was sometime in you know, the early 2000s, um, I feel like God connected those two dots to me, it was the body of Christ and his prayer. Uh, but then, for my own home city, and just the dynamite of churches that we have—all different denominations and races here—it's just phenomenal to me um, that maybe we haven't completed the mandate mm-hmm. and uh, to to see our city discipled and just begin asking questions like, "Man, what what could we do to effect change? Like to really change, to turn our city upside down, and to really change lives if we did it together?" And you know, from there, it's been you know over a decade of studying and reading and thinking and having conversations with people. Um, but when reunite my city really did, we actually started calling it the red letter initiative off of the red letters mm-hmm. of the prayer of Jesus. I remember hearing about that and, uh, really quickly found out that's just an awkward name. So <laughs> we kind of canned that. And, uh, there's four or five people, random people, um, who I still have, uh, touches with today that just kind of had shared heart and vision. And we just been getting together and kind of, Praying and talking and planning some things and getting churches together over at sixty first and Peoria is kind of an area that we started and talking about how we could meet and impact that community at a higher level.
0: So at sixty first and Peoria, people that don't know Tulsa, could you explain sixty first and Peoria yes. for people?
1: So the city of Tulsa is is divided, unfortunately, still racially. North Tulsa is predominantly African American, black community and and a little bit poor. South Tulsa would be considered your affluent. Uh, part of the community, predominantly white. Uh, there's pockets of Hispanic, Burmese, and different ethnicities in the city, but that's the predominant geographical um, and racial divide. 61st in Peoria would actually be considered South Tulsa. It is a mile and a half from a predominant country club, Southern Hills, that is hosted two uh, PGA Tour championships, including the Open and the championship themselves. And it's a, maybe a mile, mile and a half or less in circumference of a high poverty area. And at one point, I believe it was the highest crime rate in the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went to a Christian school that is right in the heart of that area, Metro Christian Academy. You graduated from Metro? Didn't graduate. Okay, but you went there. But went there. And not a proud moment, but before my freshman, um, my freshman year, I got held back in third grade. So I was already driving as a freshman. (laughs) And I would, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't living for the Lord. I would go and smoke behind the drug warehouse there in my car before.
0: Oh man, that's funny.
1: Before going to school. And one morning, I remember looking down the back alleyway of, I think it's a, it, it might still be a drug warehouse or some type of dollar general store now. And I saw the SWAT team huddled up and later found out there was a drug bust right nearby. Wow. So that was in the nineties, 90s, late nineties. 90s. And, and by the you know, mid two thousands, 2010, 12, 13, nothing, nothing to this day. It has, it has changed a lot now. Um, there's been cities kind of come in there and done some things. Um, there's some great community organizations, but there hadn't, hadn't really changed that much. And yet it's not far from some significant sized churches. There's a lot of churches in the area. And I just begin to ask myself, how is that possible? How can we have not changed this area? for the better. How could we not collaborate together to change the lives of the people in this area to work with the city and the community to see this improved? How is that possible? So just begin reaching out and and having questions with those churches, hosting lunches, buying lunches, learning about what everybody's doing in the community and ended up doing a research uh, project where we did hard research, looked at stats and things from community organizations, but also met with city council, police department, um, apartment city or apartment managers, all sorts of people and found out it's the working poor over there. So you might have a, a single mom or a single dad that's working two or three jobs to make ends meet and they're still right there at the poverty line, $24,000, $26,000. So they're working their tail off for very little. Well, if mom and dad's not at home after kids get off idle time, right? So kids are getting in trouble. Teen pregnancy is high, drugs, gangs, etc. cetera. So high violence makes sense. What can the church do about that? Uh, after school program as a solution that came to the forefront or you got heavily involved um southern hills baptist because O.R.U. you
0: isn't far from there either no
1: mile away mile and a half away and they provided a lot of uh, bobby parks friend of mine really got behind it he was the mission coordinator there recruited a bunch of or you students to volunteer their time to connect with the students um kj uh, kajanga jackson we call him kj from new beginnings north tulsa has an awesome after school program up there he came down uh, we hosted it in Spirit Life. Nor- Pastor Norm Wilkie at the time uh, was leading the church. And so I think it was about six or seven, Kirk of the Hills Presbyterian Church. There was three or four or five different denominations, ORU, collaborating financially and with human resource to put this after-school program on. And to say it was perfect, no, absolutely not. We learned a lot, but what we did learn is it is possible for the church to work together and meet a need in our community.
0: That's awesome. So what kind of success did you see with that? Obviously the crime rate there is much lower than what it used to be.
1: Yeah. And I would not give ourselves credit for that. Absolutely. I think, um, the success that we saw for our mission in, in Unite My City was proving that churches can come around a common need in our community. That was the biggest cross denominationally sharing resource. And some churches came in with more resources than the other is. And it's like, Hey, you know what? That's fine. That's Okay. Um, and they both they all recruited volunteers, and that they could actually put a program on that would meet the needs of the community. It ran for about two years, um, and then that group closed it down because there was talks about a charter school coming in there. Oh, and then I don't believe the charter school actually launched. So, um, but you know, the win for us was it was a pilot program and a test to see could we do this, and and we proved that we can. So again, so schools has been a a big issue that I, I mean, we had a campaign actually on paper. We have a vision of circle to school campaign, uh, yeah. a lady named Molly Myers, She was one of the original five um, that I found in the community. Didn't know her from Adam. Um, she was a kind of a part-time staff member for a while with us that helped run Unite My City. She was instrumental in that, in that program, but her and I worked on a, an outline for getting churches just to circle schools. So if you have, let's say for example, you got 20 schools and, and in, uh, in Tulsa public school. I know it's more than that. Could you put three churches working in unity around one school where they're collaborating together and collaborating with the faculty and staff? Maybe they're taking an offering and they're, filling the gap of school supplies that are needed for that school maybe they take an offering at christmas and provide the teachers with a christmas bonus because they're already underpaid plus they don't get bonuses let's give them a bonus from the churches right maybe they're filling the stands at a football game or a basketball game because some of those parents are unengaged with them and so those kids get the feeling of people coming in and knowing their name and cheering for them there's so many things that we could do if we rallied around the schools which would align with our governor, Governor Stitt's yeah. agenda to get our state to a top ten state. I think the church should be hands on and uniting around our schools and lifting the spirit of the school system. Oh, man. And and then who gets the credit for that? Okay, the church might, but then we're pointing glory to God. And right. that's the whole purpose of the Unite My City movement. Right. Is to meet the needs of our community together to give God glory.
0: Man, that's good. That gave me goosebumps. So again, for those that may not know, Oklahoma is like 48 for education? 48 or 49. Like we are the lowest of the low in the country, and our teachers are severely underpaid, and we have teachers leaving by the dozens every year because Kansas pays more, Texas pays more, Arkansas pays more. So literally they could move three hours away and get paid $10,000, dollars 15000 more than what they are now. Um, so we have a major education issue. But we, in Oklahoma, we're, we're seeing a number Of issues that are arising and I love this idea that the church can intercede because that is such I mean you get the kids parents everybody there they're all right there that you could be touching the heart that's so beautiful and what I kept hearing you talk about was when you bring all these churches together you give them one vision and they can work together Yeah. So one vision unites everybody.
1: And there's one thing that we say, um, and I think I communicate this in the book is not everybody can unite around everything, but everybody can unite around something. And I learned that from somebody else somewhere. Um, and I wish I could remember who, because I'd like to give him credit right now. <laughs> but um, it, it's a true statement. Not every church has a passion or a call or a gifting to help with the schools. But there could be churches in our city, and there are, that are uniting to bring and meet needs to homelessness mm-hmm. or hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you envision all the different needs in our city and how churches could unite around each one of those needs, then we have a culture of unity, the body of Christ. The Big C Church is is literally becoming the answer to the needs of our community That's beautiful. rather than always looking to, and I'm thankful for government programs that Mm -hmm. are out there, but I don't think our government should be carrying this on the shoulders. Number one, I think the church should, and the number two, it's just a huge opportunity for the church to meet the needs of people, build a relationship with people by doing that. And through relationship, the opportunity to share the gospel message with them, to disciple them and lead them out of the issue that they're in by addressing the root cause. And that is, people need Jesus. I mean, there's, there's hope there. There's vision there. There's going to be dreams there. Um, and through a a lifestyle of discipleship, I believe we can lead people to a place of prosperity in their life, peace in their life.
0: So you inferred this, but I want to talk about this just for a second. You did a lot of demographic research on things. It Uh sounds like
1: we did some, yeah, over at 61st and Peoria. Um, and honestly, we partnered with um, the South Tulsa Community House over there, uh, Professor Lanny Endicott. He was a professor at Orr Roberts University. He has since retired. Um, but through the South Tulsa Community House, they did a lot of research. And so they provided that information well, to cool. us because they're doing some programs over there too. Oh, cool. Um, and there's some churches that partner with them. So they, they were kind of a, a key piece to our research.
0: I did a podcast. A long time ago talking about demographic research. Okay. So I just wanted to hear like how how you did it. We, we have a number of different resources that I gave them. But anyway, it's just interesting. To make the biggest impact, you have to understand what the biggest need is in that mm-hmm. community.
1: And I think that's one of the things that we try to challenge the church in. Uh, and, and even our work around the world, what we do in other countries, is a lot of times I think, and I know people reference the book When Helping Hurts, um, and I think there's another one out there, but a lot of times we just assume there's a need or we feel like, hey, here's something that we're good at, and then we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy doing something that, hey, it's a feel-good, yeah, it's going to be a little bit helpful, but it's not really meeting the true need, the real need that the community and so one of the things that we learned um, in that first project we did at 61st and Peoria was taking the time to go through the discovery process mm-hmm. and asking people, what What do you need? And if they don't know, so it's like, what, what are the three things that this community does great? Or what's the three things in this apartment complex that are great? Or what's the three things that are great at the school? But then you also need to ask, what are the three weaknesses? You know, So questions like that, and there's people that are smarter at doing research than I am, but just ask questions and by asking questions, you begin to identify the real need. And then here's the beautiful thing about working with other churches. Your church may not be skilled or gifted at meeting that need, but you might know somebody who is. Right. And together, you can knowing who needs to lead and who needs to take the you know second second seat sometimes is beneficial. It's like, hey, this church or this group of people, they're great at this. Could we pull them this into this? and then what piece could we help them? With And then together, we're able to meet the authentic need of the community and make a, a more transformational impact.
0: Oh, man, that's great. So uh, in that first test run, you had a Methodist church. Crook of the Hills is Methodist.
1: Presbyterian. Presbyterian. Yep.
0: Okay, Presbyterian. Um, Victory, non-denominational. Mm-hmm. Who else did you have working with you? Uh,
1: Southern Hills Baptist.
0: A Baptist church. So yep. already you've got three different denominations working together
1: Yep, charismatic university or roberts university
0: man did that just happen naturally did you just approach these people and say Mm -mm. did you face any kind of barriers like oh they're baptist i don't want to work with them or anything like that or um
1: i'll I'll give that group group credit it was easier than maybe what i thought it was going to be but there's no substitute for time i think it was Stephen covey that said uh trust there's um Trust moves at the speed of time, or time moves at the speed of, I'm, I'm misquoting Stephen Covey right now, um, and it, striking out in the quote, but it took time to develop the trust, hmm. and so that's why we hosted lunches. So I first started off going and meeting one-on-one with pastors. Um, you know, at Victory, it was right around the time when, when Billy Joe had passed, so oh. I'd go meet with Pastor Sharon, you know, knowing Paul was was coming up. I was friends with Paul, so I'd meet with Paul. Um, meet with Hess Hester over at Southern Hills. Norm Wilkie, who was leading Spirit Life at the time, um, uh, there was another uh, Kingdom Keys. Natasha Brimes was right there, talking to ORU Bobby Parks. I would meet with him one on one to build a rapport and a trust about the overall vision. So then I had to establish trust first, and then it was like, hey, can we come together and have conversation and letting them meet each other or get to know each other at a deeper level and build trust and then through the discovery process. And this is important. If you have everybody um, around a table and a, and, and a need is not yet identified, having them discover that need together mm. is a way for them to build relationship. Yeah. So by the time the need is discovered, then together they're identifying solutions. You have the relationship bond is needed. And that's why relationship that's is good. the first pillar in a unite my city movement. Oh,
0: I love that. That's so
1: great. And this sounds maybe sacrilegious, but I don't want to say it's necessarily first, but I because prayer is the second one. Um, but let's be honest, there's some people they'll get together and they'll pray with people, mm-hmm. but a lot of people it's like, I don't really know you, I don't, you know, I don't want to mm-hmm. get together and pray. It's like, you know, I'm gonna open my heart up in front of you, or it's right. not gonna be dis- or Are you gonna pray in tongues? And I don't believe in praying in tongues, so I personally think uniting around prayer in a collective room or group can be awkward. Mm-hmm. But once I have a relationship with somebody and I know where they're coming from and we have rapport and a trust built, I will do more with them. Yeah. So relationship's critical to it all.
0: Yeah. Okay, so after this first pilot, it it dwindled. Um, where did you go from there? Because obviously you saw something special started and you wanted to keep mm-hmm. going.
1: We learned as... Um, so Unite My City is not an organization. Right. It is a movement. Right. World Compassion is the organization that helps facilitate Unite My City. And that is not our mission is to run after school programs or to run a whole bunch of different various projects around town. Our mission is to get the church working together. And so this is the the, the hard part is getting the church to take ownership of these of these things. So we begin to turn our attention. Once we kind of learned that this is doable and we learned how to do it, we begin to pull back and look at the bigger picture. And it's like, okay, now how could we really usher in a movement of this? And we're not there yet by any means, Mm -hmm. but we begin to focus on, let's start connecting the body at a much bigger level citywide. So citywide worship nights, prayer events. And then now what has come to be the annual serve my city day. Yeah. Um, are for us relationship opportunities begin connecting churches together in relationship um, in order for them to begin taking the lead and ownership of meeting all the different various needs in the community that's not what our mission is our mission is to connect Connect. not to do it
0: man it's so cool I I have this like vision in my head because um, I think this was a worship night where everybody got together at downtown uh, at the downtown first baptist yes yeah, that was this year Yes it was and it was so the pictures were so beautiful. It just I wasn't there but the pictures I saw it it brought tears and goosebumps because you see all of these pastors from all around the city together praying I mean worshiping God together. That's just something that hasn't happened in the past. In
1: front of their people. Yeah. They're exampling it and showing it. And this is something I would, I would say I don't want to cut you off, but no, one please, of the, some of the feedback we get on that or some of the questions, um, that would kind of question why it's like, well, how is that different than any other given Sunday service? It's a bunch of Christians together in a room, worshiping God. And I would say this is because we're intentionally coming together in a spirit of unity. Right. We're acknowledging I'm not just with my tribe. I'm not just with my kind. I'm not just with my denomination or my race. I'm having to intentionally come together and humble myself to enter into a space that might be uncomfortable and unfamiliar with for me as a church person to engage with a style of worship I may not prefer requires us to humble ourselves, to hear from somebody that I may not even like right. requires you to humble yourself. So the key is here, it position, begins to position and build a spirit of humility in the, in the church. Yeah. Um, but then I also think it's inspirational right. in the fact that congrega- the congregations can begin to see, wait, I don't, that group or this, these people from a different church and man, there's 12 other pastors up here that are leading different moments of the night. Like they begin to see a picture of what could be. So the worship nights aren't the end all. No. It is supposed to be a fueling the fire, yeah. a catapult, a catalyst of vision and inspiration. Um, but then I also believe, you know, second chronicles seven fourteen, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, mm-hmm. it's just another opportunity maybe to come together in a spirit of humility.
0: Yeah.
1: And position ourselves. So when we do that, what can we expect? God's grace. Rejects the proud, gives his grace to the humble. We're providing a a space and an atmosphere for god's grace to come over our city
0: oh that's gorgeous you have been listening to the fcf leadership podcast where our focus is to help you achieve your destiny as a leader thank you for joining us today for more information visit our website at fcf.org